Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the improvement of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I like to call the TLC of business. Hi, I'm Greg Gregory, founder and host of the Teamwork Advantage. Every week, we bring a guest in to help talk to us about their experiences in all walks of life, all levels of business, their professional life, their personal lives, how they've been able to build successful teams and change cultures all along the way. And that's the cool parts of what we start to look at. Today is no exception. We're joined by Melanie Palmer. And uh, Melanie's got a great and very interesting background as she grew up in a family that went bankrupt just soon after she was born. By 15, she dropped out of high school. That's right. She's dropped out of high school and still made a success out of things. Today, she is the chief financial officer of Brain Capital, a trusted independent partner in digital asset custody. See, it's not always where we come from, but where we go that matters. Particularly attuned to the critical effects of a toxic environment, Melanie spent more than 20 years of progressive corporate experience studying the impact leaders have on workplace cultures, they have on employee security, as well as performance. We want to talk about that today as well. Through that effort, Melanie's learned how to shape corporate environment to manifest powerful teamwork, authentic communication, diverse creativity, and heartfelt loyalty. And loyalty is one of those things that's missing in a lot of places today. Her book that she wrote called Detox helps leaders and employees everywhere learn how to thrive. Joining us today from Toronto. Hi, Melanie. How are you doing? Hello. Very well. Thanks for having me. We're excited about this. And, you know, I've not read your book yet, but I've gone through and I've pulled a couple of excerpts out and read through some things. Excellent. And your, your story is absolutely fascinating. And one of the things I like to do in my workshops is to find out from people some kind of a history about them, something that that made them vulnerable and helps them understand how to be better leaders. And you're bold right up front. Mm-hmm. You know, your family went through a lot and you dropped out of high school. You want to give us a little background on how all that happened? Yeah. Yeah. So you got a little bit of an overview there that, you know, unfortunately in the, in the early eighties, when uh, interest rates skyrocketed, my dad was, was really leveraged and we ended up having to go bankrupt. There was really, really no choice there. And that just sort of set us on a path that we never really stabilized from my, my parents got divorced. My mom later later remarried and there was drama and these things that, that happened in many of our families. And unfortunately um, there was just so much uh, turmoil in my house that I ended up moving out when I was fifth, when I was 15. And, uh, you know, teenagers out on their own do not make good decisions. And I was no different and ended up getting involved in drugs and, and not realizing the importance of school and uh, would dropped out of school before finishing grade 10. And, you know, but when you're in those kind of situations, good things don't happen. And, and so I eventually saw that really I was going down a dangerous path and I woke up and, and realized I needed to make some change. And so I, I went down that road and got my high school equivalency, my bachelor and then my CPA designation. And I did that all part time uh, while I was working full time uh, to be able to uh, to afford that. Was there something that triggered that you said you woke up one morning yeah. was there like a bolt of lightning was there somebody who kicked you in the pants did you hit rock bottom what happened 
Well, I mean, you, you, all of those things to a certain extent, you know, um, I wish I could say that I all of a sudden, you know, saw the light, but really what it was is I, I just got scared enough. Um, I was in some dangerous situations, you know, somebody had physically hurt me and that, that shook me awake. And I saw if I continue, I'm just going to uh, potentially be hurt further. And that's what drove me. So it was actually fear and insecurity that, mm -hmm. that, uh, that finally, finally woke me up. You know, one of the expressions I use is called the Abe effect, and that's called awareness brings effectiveness. And once you got attunedly aware of that, it was kind of a powerful thing. Yes. So once you've dropped out of school, you got your equivalency, you got your CPA, all of that. Mm -hmm. How did you get from there to being a CFO? Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of that is about good leadership, which is why I feel so strongly and why I talk so often about the power of leadership is, you know, so before I even got my GED, I got a job at a, at a reception as a receptionist at an environmental engineering firm. And I was so lucky. I had a leader there who saw something in me. And even though I was insecure and I was nervous, and mm -hmm. even at that point, the receptionist job felt like too much for me, but, uh, but she saw what I was capable of and, and uh, she helped support me to go to school even the company paid for some of my classes they ended up promoting me to administrative assistant and then i got two other promotions during that time while i was there and continued on working and so really i would say for about the first 15 years of my career i had some highly supportive leaders who really wanted to see me succeed and created an environment where i felt comfortable pushing outside of my outside of my comfort zone and and it changed my life like i could have stayed scared and insecure in that safety zone of the receptionist desk and never pushed past it but because I had really, really great leaders, um, I did. Regular listeners of our podcast will know that I often talk about the three zones of life, and that's the comfort zone, the growth zone, and the panic zone. Mm -hmm. And if we live in our comfort zone, we're just going to build a shell around us. And you've pushed through that, through your growth zone, and you even took risks. You got out there and you, you, you started to develop from that. I did. What's one thing that that first leader taught you? What's one thing that you've harnessed and you've taken with you from that time? Is there anything that you can uh, recall? Yeah, well, I mean, for one, the, the impact that one person can have on, on someone because mm -hmm. she really did um, change my change my experience and and help me build my confidence. So uh, I, I now with my teams, I'm really thoughtful about that and making sure that I give people chances and I don't put somebody in a box because, you know, often as leaders, we can do that. We see somebody as a specific skill set and we don't think more broadly about what else might they be able to right. do. So with all my teams now, I, you know, I, I really ensure I don't don't do that. I, I, uh, for one thing, I ask them what they want to do. And then I also sort of observe and see what else they might be able to do because we don't even, I mean, if you'd asked me when I was 21 and a receptionist, what I wanted to do, I certainly wouldn't have said CFO. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have even said accounting at that point. I probably not. Not at that point. No, it was, it took a couple of years for me to come to that one. Right. And it's, it's all about mentors and who guides you in your lives. And, you know, you get on a track and next thing you know, it's amazing about what happens because so many people go down a path that they never anticipated going down when they first got out of high school, college, even those who went for a master's degree, yeah. they go down a path. We've had several folks on our podcast who are, as they call themselves, recovering lawyers. Mm 
and have <laughs> gone down a whole different path. Right. So, and that's why this whole five-year plan, um, I, I gave up on that a number of years ago, you know, even trying to plan much further than that, because it's life's about opportunities. And if you mm-hmm. lock yourself too much into, into one strategy, one plan, you could actually miss out on the things that come along that you don't expect. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. So I want to get into something. You, you mentioned the word toxic a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. And I think several of us, several of the listeners, I know I have at times been involved in a toxic work environment of some mm-hmm. sorts, mm-hmm. whether it's the team members, wherever it happens to be. So can you kind of give us your definition of a toxic environment? So yeah. more of a broad spectrum. And For then sure. how do we identify it? Yeah. And when, when we think of a toxic work environment, generally the first thing that comes to mind is toxic people. So bullies or uh, micromanagers, those people that are using uh, behaviors that are toxic. And, and that is common, but there's other things also that create toxicity in, in a workplace. Um, one thing is if there's a lot of uncertainty. So if you're in a work environment and the, the expectations of you are really unclear or the strategy, mm-hmm. the business, the stability of the business, um, those uncertainty makes people feel insecure and makes them feel unstable, which can drive more of those unproductive behaviors and defensiveness. So that's something that can really drive toxicity. And hand in hand with that is really low transparency. So if you're in a work environment, information isn't shared with you, you're constantly surprised by what's happening. It's siloed, so people aren't sharing information across the organization. Often that's from self-protection. That also creates toxicity. So there's the really obvious stuff, and then there's the sort of underlying, under-the-surface factors that you may not know exactly are creating toxicity, but they are destabilizing you because you you don't feel secure. Is that undercurrent, if you will, that can still be people, obviously, am I right? Often, I mean, ultimately, they are driven by people because when Mm -hmm. when there is low transparency, you know, for example, from leaders, leaders have the power to 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 change that, but they may not. It's not like bullying in the way where they're necessarily trying to cause somebody harm or or demean them or demoralize them. They may just not be aware that they're not being clear and that they're not sharing information. And then the impact that's actually having is creating toxicity in the organization. That brings me to the point. It's possible that people are creating toxicity. And not realizing they're creating toxicity. Yeah. So what are some ways that employees, let's talk about employees first, Mm -hmm. can start to identify toxicity? Are there ways that they can do that? Yeah, I mean, you, you can, for one, I always recommend looking at our looking at ourselves first and our own behaviors and how we're feeling. You know, if you're if you're in a work environment and, and you find that you are feeling insecure or you're afraid to put your hand up and, and ask questions or throw out ideas, if you notice yourself using passive aggressive behaviors or being avoidant to certain things, that's a sign um, that you could be in an environment that that is toxic. So that's looking at yourself. And, and then you can look for the same things around you. Uh, okay. If you're in an organization where the social interaction is really low. There's not a lot of collaboration. Uh, People aren't talking much in meetings, asking questions. All those things are signs that an environment is toxic because we tend to shut ourselves down when we don't feel safe somewhere, which can really shut down collaboration and communication in general. So that brings me to the question, the effects of toxicity shuts down communication, collaboration, and it can can ultimately implode a company or organization, department, whatever. Am I right? 
It can, because it does those things. It also drives down productivity because people are, in, are distracted. If they're in a work environment where they don't feel safe, they're going to be worrying more about themselves and what's their boss going to say and, and what is the, what's expected of them, which is going to actually distract them from their work and, and lower their productivity. So these things really do impact the bottom line and the, a company's ability to uh, meet its strategic objectives. Because all of a sudden, if, if people are in a toxic environment, then they're not being productive. The organization starts to get into a tailspin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what can, what can I as an employee do? Not in a leadership role, but what can I do to try and break some of that toxicity? Yeah, you know, trying to remain open yourself. I and mean, we, we all uh, can have a positive or negative impact in an environment. You know, toxicity spreads toxicity and, and uh, mm -hmm. positivity uh, can spread positivity as well. So try to remain open yourself, ask questions. So instead of just remaining uncertain about something, try to put yourself out there and ask for clarity and ask for questions. You know, if somebody is, for example, being passive aggressive and not being direct with you, um, just check in in a curious way and, and ask questions, okay. try and remain open. And then as a leader, it, let's say you get promoted into a position to a team and now all of a sudden you're noticing the toxicity. Yeah. And that's probably a little bit more common. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's it does it happens a lot with both cases. I mean, unfortunately, I think toxicity is is quite common in the workplace. Uh, but but as a leader, you know, we really do have the responsibility um, and the power to make a difference in an environment. Like we all, you know, tone from the top is overused, but that's because it's really really true. Um, leaders set the tone for an organization. So if you come into a role and you see that kind of toxicity happening, uh, as a leader, the first thing to do is make sure that you're modeling um, healthy behaviors. So that brings me to the point of asking, toxicity breeds insecurity or does insecurity breed toxicity or does it go both ways? Totally goes, totally goes both ways because, <laughs> because the, the very behaviors that we use when we're insecure, because when we're insecure, then we are defensive. We are mm -hmm. passive aggressive. We tend to avoid things. Those things can be perceived by other people as toxic behaviors and often we you know, if somebody's being passive aggressive with us, we tend to jump to judgment that, you know, you don't like their character okay. before we actually consider that it may be coming from a place of fear. Um, so definitely, uh, if it, it is that snowball effect, like once you get in a toxic environment and people start to use, um, you know, unproductive behaviors, it just get, gets worse and worse, as you said. Okay. So let's look at something here. And this has come up several times over the years of some of my clients. And that is you've got a manager who is kind of afraid to share information, kind of afraid to share some of his or her knowledge because they're worried that somebody beneath them may be smarter than they are and quite mm -hmm. frankly, probably are, but they're afraid to share and do that. Now, all of a sudden they don't want to do that because guess what? They're afraid they're going to take their position. So they're coming from an insecurity place there. Absolutely. And so how, again, I'm going to go back to the employee. If you've got an insecure manager. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to do an end around. No. What can be done? Yeah, and, and that's a difficult, I mean, there's many different angles to that discussion, but, you know, coming from that employee's perspective, um, be supportive of your leader. Like you want to mm -hmm. um, help your leader, help them realize that you are there to work for them. Um, ask again, ask some questions, look for their help on stuff, try to do what you can to create comfort for them so mm -hmm. that they know uh, that you're not trying to, to come around them. Um, if you do that, it, it certainly is going to be detrimental to the, to the relationship. Mm -hmm. So trying to just really support your leader. 
Maslow's theory mm-hmm. comes into play a lot when you talk about security. Yes. So I've often thought about it from a secure of a work environment. And especially in the last 20 years, we have seen that happen mm-hmm. uh, in major cities. You're in the Toronto area. You know, the security at the front desks of buildings have totally changed. Right. Uh, military bases all over the world have totally changed. All of that is to help create that secure environment. Right. So that's one aspect of security. You're now looking at a whole different aspect. Am I on, am I on right track? Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And there's actually a section in my book on Maslow's hierarchy because that really does feed into some of the theories I have because um, Maslow has safety as the second level on the, so it's just above, you know, breathing, food, <laughs> shelter, <Yes>. uh, safety. <laughs> and But when most of us think of safety, we think of physical safety. Like that's an easy one, right? Yes. Uh, the security that you talk about. But there's psych- psychological safety is another aspect. Aspect because our mental health, which we're talking about more and more now than, than ever, which is yes. great. Um, our mental health is can is really important to the overall functioning of our bodies and, and uh, moving forward in our life. So if we feel that that's threatened, we will protect it uh, in a similar way that we will our, our physical safety. We'll put up, that's what defensiveness is. Uh, when we're defensive against somebody who's potentially insulting us or creating self-doubt, we're protecting ourselves from their words, um, causing a psychological harm. And that all stems from, uh, if I'm going from memory here on this, the limbic system of the brain has the amygdala and the, the amygdala focuses in on safety and pre- uh, preservation, triggers the fight or flight. Triggers the fight or flight, exactly. And, and if you're in an environment that is toxic, so from what I've seen in the work environments that I've in, if in a work environment is toxic, the amygdala is triggered so much faster. There's actually uh, calling it the amygdala hijack um, is when it just jumps, uh, jumps to the ready and becomes defensive. Or maybe you have an employee when you're giving them feedback, they start coming up with tons of excuses as to why they may not even be thinking about it. They're just going into defense mode and saying whatever they can think of to protect their psyche. That's fascinating. I never looked at it from the amygdala hijack point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's, that starts to grasp it because they've got to feel secure. I mean, the words have been used. Oh, I can't remember how many times people have said, we've got to get to, this is a safe place. Feel free to share. Right. Okay. I get that. We've got to make sure that the work environment feels that way. Yeah, I mean, it's a fine balance because um, we want people to feel, so you have to create that safety so that people feel able to give feedback. Like when we think of a safe space where like you can't say anything, I mean, what you want to do is create an environment where people um, can give feedback and constructive feedback, but they Mm -hmm. know that it's actually being given in support of the employee and in support of the business, that it's not an attack. Because if it comes as an attack, that's when that animalistic instinct is triggered and we don't even hear the feedback anymore because we've gone into protection mode. Yeah, we're going into protection. And so that goes back to one of the things that I believe in. We've got to have good foundational trust. Yes. Then yes. we have to have the open dialogue. Yep. Then people can commit. And once we have those three very solidly produced, mm-hmm. then feedback is absorbed as feedback and not as an attack. 
I, I totally agree. And, and building that trust, like that is really that having that solid foundation of trust with your employees uh, will lead to broad, bigger success. You know, then there are also, you know, we talk about mistakes and, and weaknesses, you know, in an unsafe work environment, people hide those things because they don't want to risk exposing themselves. But in an environment where there's trust, people will also be more comfortable throwing out there, letting you know uh, when they're not comfortable with a task and where they need support. And that also leads to greater success for the business. That leads what Patrick Lencioni talks about in his book, The Five Dysfunctions, talks about vulnerability trust. Mm. And there's predictive trust and vulnerability. And when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, as you did by talking about your background, uh, and what got you there, that starts to build a higher level of vulnerability. And have you noticed that? I think before we started talking, you hadn't necessarily brought all your background up before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've noticed that since you've done that, you've started noticing some things. You want to share with us about that? Yeah, like it's actually only been over the past year that I've been more open about my background. Certainly early in my career, I felt like I couldn't tell anybody that I didn't finish high school. I felt like that would actually work against me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then more recently, I've started talking about that. And now people are more vulnerable with me about their own backgrounds. They're yeah. letting me know about their own challenges and and areas where they feel um, they need support because they really realize that I'm, I'm putting myself out there and, and that creates a sense of trust. Now they realize I'm being totally authentic with myself and, and I, and they believe I will be in all cases, um, including when I'm providing support and, and uh, guidance to them. Yeah. Authenticity is uh, becoming one of those other now buzzwords that's is, getting yeah. used a lot. And I hope, I hope it does not get overused to the point that it's like passe. Yeah, I hope not to. And, and you're right, because when I use it sometimes now, I, I feel that way. But I do believe it so strongly, like, like, uh, my ability to connect with people is so much stronger when I'm being myself. And being myself is talking about um, both the, my strengths and, and my weaknesses, although the word weaknesses is also come a bit of a dirty word lately. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the reality is we all have, you know, competency gaps. And uh, in sharing those with my team as well, and letting them know, I'm not, you know, I know I'm not the most detail oriented in this one area. So can you make sure you review this and, and help me so that we deliver a product uh, that is first class? So I'm letting them know where I'm not strong and then they can do the same for me. Now, have you ever done this? There's an area that you are f- pretty good in. Mm-hmm. In order to help build the team structure, you know, have you said, hey, I need some help with this? even though realistically you could have possibly have done it on your own anyway? I've never intentionally um, done it that way. I mean, I, I've approached it more if I recognize, even though I am good at this, um, somebody on my team could use the experience and it would help them grow their career. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I will um, ask them to do it, but I've never done it. I've never done it from an angle where I, you know, to a certain extent, maybe pretend I can't do it. I I, I definitely um, let them know that this is a learning opportunity and I'm here to support them. Because if you did it on an intentional level, if, if, Mm -hmm. let me rephrase that, when, it came out, it would undermine everything you've already done. Because it might seem inauthentic because they would probably know that, that, uh, that I'm, oh, that I'm good at that task. Um, yeah, I mean, and, if you're uh, doing some simple accounting stuff and you say, I don't know this, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they might realize it. So I mean, in every interaction that I have well, t- with anybody, whether it's my team or not, um, I do just make every effort to, to really be myself and not have, 
I don't have a work persona and a personal persona, uh, at least not anymore. I did earlier in my career and mm -hmm. today I don't. I'm always just uh, exactly who I am. So what, what can an employee do? In other words, if they want to open up and become more vulnerable, if we've got a frontline person who are mm -hmm. listening to the podcast, if somebody's on that front line and they want to open up and they want to allow themselves to become more vulnerable, they're a little afraid. So in other words, now we're looking at uh, insecurity in the workplace. What, what can an employee do? Or let's look at, let's look at the prior to that. Let's look at the mechanisms they may put up if they feel insecure. So let's look at what are some things they may say. And then once they start to get comfortable, what can they do? Yeah. Well, when, when we are insecure, one of the main things we do is we shut ourselves down and, and we don't expose ourselves and, mm -hmm. and uh, we don't share our vulnerabilities for sure. And, and maybe we don't even share much of ourselves, period, when we feel insecure. Um, if you do feel that way, like all of it is, is using, using judgment and, and finding the appropriate time to do that. Uh, so, so yes, I've now sh shared my story, but I, I don't do it in every meeting. Um, I, I pick the ones where, <laughs> where, you know, as you talked about earlier, now often at leadership sessions, we ask leaders to, to be more vulnerable and share aspects of themselves. So now in those, in those sessions, I do that. And I would apply the same principle to an employee. Um, you don't need to go necessarily and start telling everybody about yourself, but when opportunities come up and, and you see it's an appropriate time, try to just empower yourself to actually share a little bit at a time about yourself in the, in those places, those times when it is appropriate. And the more you do it, the more you'll start to get comfortable with it. It is mm -hmm. just, just starting. Cause I, I mean, I can say for me now that I've started doing it, um, it's, it's just normal. I feel comfortable, but it took me time and it took practice. There's the key word. It takes time and practice. And especially for someone who has been more guarded most of their life. Yes. It's Absolutely. much more difficult that way. Yeah. So do, um, I would never push yourself too hard. Like, don't feel like you need to, you know, right away, go and expose every part of yourself. You don't, we don't need to do that. You know, so judgment um, as to when it's appropriate and then, and then being easy on yourself and doing a little bit and then realize, okay, that actually wasn't so bad. People didn't even react. Um, and then slowly keep doing that until you feel like you can be yourself. Now let's look at the flip side. There are some people especially in the realms of social media today mm -hmm. who overshare. Right. How do we find the balance? And that is, and again, for each person that, that is going to be That's a little bit different, different, but, but I, yeah, it's, it's really distorted. Um, you know, what is an appropriate level of, of openness and it, and it is different for everyone. But, you know, I would sometimes question the authenticity of some of the things that we are seeing with people on social media. Um, are, is that truly who they are or is that more a different kind of insecurity with some with some compensating? So, again, I would you know check in with yourself about what is really you and is what you're sharing uh, truly yourself. OK, so let's let's tie it to the elephant if we can. OK, the last 18 months, we've had a pandemic, 20 mm -hmm. months, I guess now. 20 some months we've had a pandemic. Have you noticed toxicity increasing, decreasing about the same? And then the same question for insecurity because insecurity will feed, in, uh, will feed toxicity. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, starting with insecurity, there's definitely been an, an increase in insecurity in general, because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uncertainty uh, can really yes. create insecurity. And we've had so much uncertainty over the past 18 months, you know, not knowing if we're going to be able to leave our house, you know, not knowing the level of safety, so much different information. And, and what I find is even if the insecurity is being created by something in our personal life, it will filter into the workplace because it just lowers our ability to to manage um, uh, stress. Um, if we're already feeling really stressed about something that's happening, you know, out side of the workplace. Right. So that has that um, in, in some ways has increased toxicity. However, and this is of course different in every work environment, but there has been, and I can tell you in my work environment, a much greater awareness to mental health, uh, to what people are, are dealing with in their personal lives because we see them at the, in their homes every day. Uh, there's been a much greater sensitivity um, to ensuring that people are having some, taking some time to themselves and balancing uh, their work and their personal life. In your company, because they know you can't speak to others unless you've got clients that you've worked with, but in your organization, what are some things that managers are doing to help with that. I mean, we started off at the early days with the, let's have a Zoom happy hour. Well, let's face it, that's, that's run its course. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm often, I mean, a lot of our guests have shared things they're doing in their organization. So what are things you're seeing done to really create that? So it's a chance to open up. So it's a chance to share so they can build the security. Let's face it. There are people today who have started work who have never set foot in the office. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's a lot of that. And one thing what I started doing with my team, and this is even at the very beginning of the pandemic, is just having a, a five minute morning check-in meeting. And, you know, it's only five minutes and we would go around, check in, how's everybody doing? What, and what are you working on today? And, you know, sometimes the meeting would go longer. Sometimes it would be over in two minutes, but it was an opportunity for us to see each other's faces and connect and, and re-engage with each other. Because otherwise, you know, if you're going three days, depending on what you're working on and not connecting with your peers, that can really start to reduce, reduce engagement. And then also just that regular check-in, I was also able to see how people are actually doing because, you know, you see day to day, you know, how someone's doing and you're more likely to notice if there's, there's changes in mm -hmm. them. Uh, so that check-in has been really important to, to maintain stability with the team. Yeah. Huddle meetings are some of the greatest things in the world to try yeah, and do. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I think, and I think we underutilize them. It, it, you know, I know we're really busy all the time, but that five minutes, I think the th things that come up from it can really make a difference for your yeah. team. Some of my clients over the years have been doing huddle meetings even before a pandemic ever hit. Yeah. You know, yeah. If they're, especially if they're in the uh, hospitality world where there's transitional shifts, they do a huddle meeting, handoffs, every making sure things are yeah. in place. Uh, a law firm actually did, did, did it every morning. They would have a 10 to 15 minute huddle meeting before the day got started, what's on the plate? What are we doing? And that brought everybody a sense of cohesion to the team. Exactly. Yeah. That just that that connection and, and seeing mm -hmm. seeing each other's faces. And uh, I really I really found it made a difference. Well, I mean, oh. I, I started doing it from the beginning, so I didn't see it, but I know for me and for the team, it kept us connected. Mm -hmm. The other challenge a lot of people are saying they're having today is having that quote water cooler moment. Because mm -hmm. they're not walking by the water cooler. They're not passing somebody in the hall. They're not just popping into somebody's office and saying, hey, I got a quick question. Mm -hmm. Those things are missing. Yeah. Okay. So from a leader's point of view, what advice would you give a leader to be able to do for something of that nature? 
Yeah. And I, what, what I recommend is, is having regular one-on-one check-ins with your team. And, and this is, you know, often we use one-on-ones as a time to kind of go through the priority list and see where we are with everything, but have time in that that's not structured. Like just have time to have it. And if you're doing it every week, you know, depending on the size of your team, maybe it's only every two weeks, but leaving some white space, some time to, to actually see how they're doing, you know, ask how they're feeling in their role, how they're balancing their priorities, but not have it all just be task focused because that is what's happened when every meeting is a zoom meeting we come into it okay here's the agenda and therefore we're not talking about anything else that's happening in our lives so actually intentionally creating time for that Mm -hmm. is important put it either at the beginning or the end of your meeting to make sure that there's that chance Exactly. To just have to just, and then the other thing about that is you don't know what comes from it because when you actually have a free flowing discussion with somebody, you'll learn something that maybe they didn't realize you were interested in, uh, but you actually are. So you do need to have that, that space where it's not all task focused. That's one of the things is teamwork, productivity, all still revolves back to people. Yes. And so those people are going to be critical in there. Yeah. And when we have people, there are going to be mistakes. I know you talk about celebrating failures. Mm -hmm. That's something that has recently started popping up in places. Tell us about that. Tell us why celebrating a screw up can be good. It's because it means that someone took a risk, you know, like if we, if we don't, again, talking back to the comfort zone, if we don't push ourselves out of a comfort zone, we're not learning and growing. But of course, the reality is that when we get out of our comfort zone, sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we do have make poor judgment. But that has to happen in order for a person to learn and grow. And it also has to happen in order for a company to innovate. If, if people aren't trying new things, which can lead to making mistakes, a company is much more likely to uh, eventually get taken over by a competitor who does have a work environment where people feel like they can take the risk and try something new. So what would you advise leaders to do? Because we know it's important. Mm-hmm. What are you going to advise leaders to do And what do you advise your team leaders to do uh, in your company to be able to allow that to start to happen, to allow them to celebrate a failure or a mistake? Yeah, you know, for one is... is, being okay, letting people know that you're not perfect yourself and that you do, and that you do make mm-hmm. mistakes. Vulnerability uh, again. Yeah. Vulnerability again. And, uh, and then one thing I recommend is that can even go back to the, to the founder's story. I mean, there's very few businesses where a founder had their first try and they were successful. You know, often there's, there's, there can even be bankruptcies. There can be many stories, um, of things that didn't go well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if a founder that, you know, tone from the top is, is talking about having made mistakes and how that ultimately learned, le- led to this success that can really set a tone in the organization. And then as you know, individual leaders ourselves, uh, you know, we can share those stories too. talk about earlier in your career about when a mistake was made, or even if you make a mistake in day to day, don't hide it because if you hide it, then that's indicating to the people on your team that it's not acceptable. Are there things that you do? There's one, a couple of folks have talked about celebrating failures to the point that they have a meeting on a uh, every other Friday or even every Friday. They yeah. say, okay, let's break out the champagne bubbly. Here we go. <laughs> what failure did we screw up this week? They actually make it a celebration event. Have yeah. you heard of that? 
Yeah, I, I have heard of that. And, and I think often that is in companies that are that are really looking to innovate and grow because mm-hmm. those are the people who are pushing the envelope. And, and so you have to make mistakes in those kind of environments. You know, of course, you know, with all this, like we don't want to sound like we're going to go crazy and the comp- people are going to be trying new things that end up hurting the business. You right. do have to apply, you know, practicality. To practicality, and yeah. Practicality and, and, and even have a vetting process on, on what people are allowed to try and, and not, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really just is about that that openness that we don't need to be embarrassed about failure it is it is a normal part of learning and growth right i use the example of getting into your growth zone is pushing your envelope mm-hmm. if you want to go jump off of a, a bridge with a bungee cord that might be a little too much of a push <laughs> right. so yeah. it's yes. it's finding what 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 is a growth not a little wacky Right, exactly. Don't get me wrong. Like we, there's people that I lo- don't lo- love bungee jumping, and that's fine. Yeah, that terrifies me. Yeah, me too. Me too. But yeah, yeah. we. It, it's all just about progress and and moving forward. It doesn't have to be in leaps and bounds all the time. It mm-hmm. can just be in steps. But but uh, pro- progress and growth is is what a com- you know a company does want their employees doing. Right. I mean, Thomas Edison has often been asked in his life. How many times did you fail at inventing the light bulb? Mm-hmm. And his response was, I never failed. I just found ways that didn't work. Right. And so understanding a failure is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a way that you can grow and make something else work. And that's such a great point too, because if we do celebrate and let others know about failures, sometimes when we make a mistake with with something that we tried, that can trigger an idea in somebody else that can actually lead to something unexpected. So the more we share about what our processes were and and maybe what didn't work, that can, that can help other people come up with new ideas. So yeah, those, that kind of sharing is really important. Let's touch on in our last couple of minutes we have here together. Let's talk about, and I, and I'm, I don't know how bad it's affecting Canada, but the great resignation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many people leaving today. And I don't know that we can keep up with the, all the reasoning and the rationales behind it. Yet I believe a lot of what we've talked about today is part of that. I totally agree. And yes, it is affecting Canada. I think it's it's an issue in many countries. And I think part of that is because we had all gotten used to what our work environments were before. It just seemed like it was normal. And this is the way it was, whether that was because you were in a toxic work environment or you just didn't enjoy your job. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we had a complete change and we were lifted out of those environments and we realized that life can be better. Life can be different. Yeah. You don't have to uh, be in a negative uh, work environment all day. And people are, are now rethinking that. And that's why, you know, we're seeing the great resignation. We're also seeing uh, employees resisting going back to the office, you know, demanding uh, w- remote work or hybrid work, because mm-hmm. I think in many cases they're finding their lives are better, which I think includes their mental health is better when they're not spending all their time in the office or in whatever the workplace is. Well, let's also look at, it's not necessarily the time in the office. There are so many people. Now you live in a major city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. I've grown up and lived in the Washington DC market. The commute times that people have some cases, right? There are some people that were commuting two hours each way to work. I know you do two hours each way. That's four. Then you add in the eight hour workday, if you will. And sometimes they're working 10 hour days so they can have a day off. Yeah. It's, that's going to take a toll on you. And at some point in time, that's got to wear. 
and all of a sudden your internal combustion may pop and now you're inadvertently causing toxicity. Yeah, exactly. Because you're depleted. So you're, when, when you're in that state, your defenses, your defense mechanisms are going to be triggered so much more easily because you're protecting yourself. I mean, I know from, from myself, if I'm tired, for example, I'm much more easily triggered to, to use a, a defensive type behavior because I know that I'm weakened. And so, yeah, if somebody is, is driving two hours, you know, plus they've got kids keeping them up at night or various other things. And, and uh, then they're getting into the workplace depleted like that, it is definitely more likely to trigger behaviors that, that will create toxicity. Wow. There's a lot that we've touched on. Tell everybody about your book, Detox. Yeah. So I, um, I actually wrote the book um, during the pandemic. I, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, I was somebody who was going out quite a bit and I wasn't able to do that. So I had a lot of time and um, I feel really passionate about the power of the, of a healthy workplace, given my experiences earlier in my career. And so I started writing the book and it really focuses on, on insecurity and the impact that it can have in the workplace when you have an insecure workforce. And that is how it drives those unproductive behaviors that we've talked about. So in the book, I provide strategies on how leaders can create an environment that has psychological safety um, and that also doesn't have those unproductive behaviors. Yeah. It's powerful because you even talked earlier about Maslow and the Mm -hmm. security in there being level two. Mm -hmm. Of course, level three is creating a sense of belonging, which is where the teamwork comes in. Mm -hmm. You can't really have great teamwork beginning if you don't have that security in place. Absolutely. Yeah, you're t- absolutely. Because as we've talked about, when you feel insecure, you tend to shut yourself down and mm-hmm. you're pre- protecting yourself becomes number one. And I mean, the reality is sometimes collaborating with people, people can say things that are hurtful or, or you can create self-doubt. So we'll stop doing those things if we're already feeling unsafe. Absolutely. We could probably go on for another hour. <laughs> probably. <laughs> just, I am fascinated. So we can pick up the book Detox. Um, on Amazon. Yes. And it's just like it sounds, Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. And I'm fascinated to get the book, to go through it and find out ways that we can all help each other. If we always keep in mind, regardless of what we do in life, someone else helps us. That's a powerful quote from the great Wilma Rudolph. And we recognize the power in all of that. Melanie, I want to thank you for your time here on the Teamwork Advantage today. You know, once a week on the Teamwork Advantage, You can get ideas that can actually be impactful to your place of business, as well as your families and your sports teams, without a doubt, and ideas you can act on immediately. Until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you're not average. So go make today and every day excellent and exceptional. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.